Welcome to Middle Grade Mavens, where two author mums discuss their favourite middle grade books, provide recommendations and share insider industry tips for authors trying their hand at middle grade. Julie Ann Grasso is the author of the Frankie DuPont mystery series, cupcake enthusiast and part-time library book wrangler. Pamela Eucherman is a writer, dancer and homeschooling mum who sometimes finds time for sleep. Both Julie and Pamela devour middle grade books, not only for research, but to share with their combined brood of four munchkins. Elizabeth Honey is an award-winning Australian children's author, illustrator and poet, known predominantly for her picture books and middle grade novels. Her books have been published internationally. Her recent release, From Stella Street to Amsterdam, is a follow-up to her award-winning Stella Street series, the first of which, 45 plus 47 Stella Street and Everything That Happened, was published in 1995 and won a string of awards. Welcome to Middle Grade Mavens, Elizabeth. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> Pleasure great. to be here. It's great to have you here. So uh, 45 plus 47 Stella Street was published over 25 years ago and had a few sequels. What drove you to follow up that one so many years later? Well, um, when this book came out all those years ago, I sort of invented a whole cast of characters, which is what you do. <clears throat> and then they stuck with me. Um, and it was relatively easy to go into another book. Another factor was that people kept asking me, then what happened? Stella Street, first one, was very alive in people's minds and they wanted to know if the baby was a boy or a girl or what happened, like, like it was something that just continued for them. And I never thought I'd write a sequel. I thought books should be able to just stand on their own and then that's that. But um, I, I decided to take them on a holiday to the bush, so I did fiddle back when Stella Street went bush and everything that happened. And then every, you know, when you write a book, you've got to make it interesting for yourself. And it just seemed like another step further down the track. There's other books happening in the meantime, picture books. And when I write a picture book and work on the illustrations, there always seems to be a time where I think, ah, oh, I wish I was writing a novel. <laughs> so I sort of swap from one to the other. And then because you've got the cast and characters and everything, I could just, I just put in a picture like this and then I'm off again. I've got all my people and I'm off with the same gang. Um, but then there was a long gap, a pause. Uh, then to the boy in Berlin, which is an epistolary no novel, which means that it's uh, one of those books that goes to and fro from one character to another. And this one was written with my German translator, Heike Brandt. And that was really fun and that was very different. And in actual fact, I think there is a book that may one day come between To the Boy in Berlin and the Amsterdam book. Who knows, but there's certainly kind of a gap there. Mm. It just seemed to grow. Um, it was like a dog that wouldn't leave me alone. It just kept growing. You know, when you have a good idea, 
other things attached to it. And I found that Henny was a way of, of expressing how I felt about Amsterdam with Australian eyes. And, um, and after all the other books that I'd done, it seemed to it seemed to flow relatively easily. But I had to be quite disciplined with myself because there are so many fascinating things about that old city. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was putting in too many facts. I had to really pare things back and get back to the characters and the plot. So I knew I knew Henny. Um, I wanted to write a book about set in Amsterdam, and um, I don't know. It's kind of like it's comfortable to be in the company of a character you know well. Wow. Um, and where? So where did the idea come from for setting it in Amsterdam? Why is that city so special to you? Uh, our daughter lives there. Um, she's oh. now married, has a little girl. And they live in Amsterdam in Nord. And, and so we would visit. And I think if you visit with a purpose besides to see them, and we stayed for some months each time, and we've back, been back there several times. When you keep going back, you just dig around. And once I started writing, I began research in earnest. And that was really intriguing and interesting. And it's such a different city to Melbourne where I live. Yeah. It's, it's dense and it's watery and it's uh, everybody lives quite close up and they all ride around on bikes. And it's just an intriguing old young city. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally agree. As you know, and I've mentioned this in the review that I've spent five years living there. So <laughs> it's really a city after my own heart. Um, and how was it getting back into Henny's head and writing from her point of view? Did that come easily? Well, I had to sort of adjust the age um, because she's a little bit older now. I'm measuring out her life. Mm. Um, no, it wasn't hard. Um, I think um, perhaps I've made a few errors uh, where I have, I could have been more contemporary in the language, but that was one of the things I, I I had test readers. I always get people to read the manuscripts, some young readers, which is which gives me a, a sense of security that I'm uh, I'm on the right track. Yeah. Um, no, it wasn't hard. I think she, <laughs> well, I think whatever character you write, there's you in that character, or you you know you're you are being that character, and I think she's a lot like me, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I, despite the fact that you have been, you spend a lot of time in Amsterdam, it's not quite the same as um, living there for years and years or even just being from there. How did you capture the Dutch psyche so well? I mean, I think you really, having lived there so, so long myself, I think you really nailed it. Um, one of the examples was the woman knocking on the ceiling with her broom below because they're from the apartment below because they were talking too loudly. I mean, that's just, it's probably happens in many cities, but it's so typical, you know, many countries and it's so typically Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> so well, that's something, perhaps it's, they are so straightforward. Mm. Um, they live close together. They have to be, they have to get on and, and tolerate each other in this very close up manner. 
but and so they're very they're known as very blunt yes but, but I really like that I really I don't like um avoiding the issue I, I like to know where you stand and you sure know you where you stand but they mm. but they also can be generous and and straightforward I I really like that very much yeah, it, it was hard. It's hard for me to get used to that in the beginning because I'm English where it's politeness is everything. Right? And yes. That, you know, politeness to them is, you know, you don't don't bother kind of thing because it's yes. important to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, then, and then there was um, the, the language. Henny's use of Dutch increases the longer she stays there in Amsterdam and she's not too shy to try words out. Do you speak mm. any Dutch or did you need a lot of help with the language? Oh, I got help, but I enjoyed the language very much because it's really you can feel bits of English within Dutch and it just looks wacky the mm. yeah yeah um, <laughs> the different sounds very guttural mm-hmm. um, but and also my our daughter helped me but I do like language and Henny likes language she's always playing with words and and uh, scribbling down poems and um, and and trying things out. And I think if you try things out in a language, you know, if you go the extra mile and learn some words and put together a few sentences and do your best, which you don't have to do actually in Amsterdam because everybody speaks such good English. Yeah. But if you do, um, you know, you'll get way down the track with them liking you and helping you. Yeah. And you enjoying yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what I found. I, they, once you show a little bit of interest, they um they get very enthusiastic about helping you out because yeah. not a lot of people actually, not a lot of English speakers there do actually um, bother to learn. So um mm. quite enthusiastic about it. <laughs> yes. Um. So when you began, so tell me how it went with writing the book. When you began the research, did you know where it was going? What the mystery in Willa's family would be, or did that evolve as you as you researched and thought about it more? Um, no, it very much evolved. The whole shebang evolved. And then well, I did a lot of research and then I had to kind of really strengthen the plot. Um, I developed my characters, my Dutch characters, that family. And then the more I wrote them, the more I got to know them and the more they got to know each other. And, um, and then I could go through and, and cut um, bits of description and all sorts of uh, other stuff that was superfluous sort of whittled down that and got right back into the characters and the story, the plot. Um, that was very interesting, um, researching those old Dutch characters. And I was very lucky because living beneath our daughter uh, was a, a woman who had lived in that building. She'd lived in that building all her life. And her family had hid a Jewish family in that apartment. And so it was just there. That's what made it so immediate for me. Mm. And she talked about it and she talked in such a, a, a straightforward, yes, that's right, they were there. And, and I said, how could, with so many people in the apartment, how could it all be clean? My mother was a very clean person. Mm. Um, so it, it's something that was only in books for us in Australia. Mm. suddenly became very real to me yeah there's such a lot of history there that's just tucked away if you you know where Mm. to look Mm. exactly such an old old city and how emotionally difficult was it doing the research into the dutch involvement and the attitudes in the holocaust 
Oh, it was very emotionally involving. In fact, um, when I still find myself almost crying when I read about how Mulder, the mother goes upstairs and, and a baby who is presumed dead is found to be still alive. And I was probably, that's a real spoiler, I suppose. But anyway, <laughs> it, for me, I, it always seemed very real. Mm. And um, I'd feel it catching my throat. Mm. And it, it, felt, it felt so tragic and that, that people could be, I mean, she was so heroic. So, so in such a kind of straightforward, practical, what else would you do kind of way. Mm. He just took on this little boy, this little baby. I can imagine that, there would be um, many more stories like that as well. Oh, yes, yes. And one of the hard things to, to, is to stop reading about them. Yeah. <laughs> you find, well, it's like um, it's Pandora's box. Once you find one story, then it opens up another and then, and then you find reference to another name and you chase that one. And, and on the net, you can do so much research. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's fascinating, all the stories that are told. Absolutely. So baggage from the war, mysterious and unresolved, mm. which we don't have, not like that. No. And, and, and as we were talking about before we started recording, you know, I've been researching a book and going down rabbit hole after rabbit hole and, and, and there's, there's just so much that there was before the Great War, World War One, mm. and then after the Second World War. You know, and then there's just like this big gaping, you know, difference in records and in attitudes and in and and you know just what ha was happening in the whole world. It's just it's like a huge marker in history. Mm. Um, mm. I think um, this virus is much the same. I think it's a line in the sand, a benchmark that will go down in the history books, mm. um, along with the technological revolution that we've lived through living through yes yes and time. yeah and 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 speaking of which so let's let's talk about the book as a whole because it's it's not just a story it's it's an experience there's so many um photographs and notes and marginalia poetry um drawings did you do all of these yourself yes yes um uh, I like a book that's got texture and when you open it up, it looks inviting mm. and it's quite thick. But besides that, um, I'm always scribbling down bits of poetry. Well, poetry, somebody needs to invent a new word for poetry. It sounds, it's such a stultifying word, poetry. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she's always you know, scribbling down things. And so those poems went in and then um, it was it was really fascinating bringing it all together at the end because I had it in my mind's eye. The terrible thing about about books is if you're the illustrator as well, usually the writing part takes longer, and then there's the deadline, and the publisher wants it done, and you're going for this deadline, but all your illustrations have to happen like lightning. Well, that's the way it always seems to happen for me. So it's it's a real race to the finishing line and fortunately sometimes for me I find that that pressure uh, works for me okay but um, it's fun just switching from one thing to another do you remember in Amsterdam the way people kept all their junk on the landings oh yes <laughs> you have to climb over them to get up 
you could see all their hiking gear or their Elvis Presley posters or whatever it was all piled up on the landing. That's right. Um, and when I was there, I, I had my first baby there as well. Well, the most recent time I lived there. So it was always prams and, and nappy bags. Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. And up and down those stairs. Gosh, it makes you work that city, doesn't it? Oh, it does. Yes. And, and I had friends who lived on the fourth floor with a baby and, you know, vertical stairs and no lift. Yes. And just, it's just what you do. It's what you do, exactly. And then you get on your bike and it's raining and you just pedal off and you go where you're going and you get there wet, but you dry out in a while. And That's right. And you, so don't, you don't wear cycling gear to go cycling. You just get in. Oh, no. No Lycra. <laughs> <laughs> no bike helmet, none of that. No, no. And there's no rails beside the canal or anything. It's, no. it, really, it really is up to you. If you want to live, you stay alive and Get yourself right. from there to there. I think uh, fishing a car out of a canal is a daily daily happening in Amsterdam. Yes, and bikes, <laughs> bikes are plenty. Bikes too. Yeah. Uh, I love that you captured um, you captured so much of the Dutch culture that the housing, as you're talking about now, the language, the food, um, Koningsdag, which is um, the like it's well it, in many places like a great big huge outdoor jumble sale that happens yes all day and everyone just sells off whatever anything and everyone dresses yes. up there's a big street yeah. party and we, li we lived among that you know <laughs> never ever anywhere seen anything so busy and crowded and mad no, yeah and and loud and just um yeah. everybody having fun and orange orange yes orange <laughs> the whole place just erupts into orange it's a sea of orange <laughs> Isn't it fantastic? I loved it. I really, really loved it. What I particularly loved was the way the kids all joined in. They're all selling cakes or trying to balance on something or they're very much part of it or busking. Mm. There was a, a little boy playing a violin and I think he'd only had one lesson and he just kept playing that same couple of notes. And it was painful, but he made quite <laughs> a lot of money. <laughs> and that's in the book, isn't it? I think you Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of observations and King's Day, I had to get King's Day in the book somehow yeah. or other. I was so glad. Well, when I was there, it was Queen's Day because it was before. Yeah, the well, they've got a king now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, I was so thrilled when that was in there. And, it's yeah, it is such a cultural thing. And um, and family is is huge there. They, they do really include their kids in everything. So, um, yes. Yeah, that was really reflected. And then so with, with all these um, extra things in there, did the photographs, did you take the photographs specifically for the book or were they just incorporated something you already had? Uh, no, as I was doing it, I'd save things. Well, I got this, the collection of things squashed flat by cars. Um, I was, I had, a, there was an, we had an exhibition of things squashed flat by cars years ago, a friend and I. So I had all those things, but things like the Ex Libris um, that Henny is given by Hunter. Mm -hmm. um, I came across them in a flea market. And so whenever I saw anything that could be useful, it's a real kind of pippy long-stopping pick-up stuffer kind of way of going about things. I see something, oh, that could be good. And I just slot that aside and continue on. Mm, it does, um, does seem so, like <laughs> so it really is a bit of a patchwork. But, um, yep, took the photo. Anything that could be useful, I photographed. Yep. 
And the there is one of the photographs in particular is um, a pair of commemorative plaques on a footpath of Zara oh, and Matthias. Yes. And they yeah. say, um, he lived Zara and he lived Matthias and it had their deportation and death dates. And it, and it actually says yes. Fumord, which means murdered um, and Auschwitz. Yes. Were those real? Those two aren't because I thought it was too close to the bone. Yeah. So um, I've retouched them. But they are based on two plaques that are very close to where our daughter lives. Right. And you find these plaques in footpaths, well, not just in Amsterdam, but many cities around Europe, particularly in Germany, Austria. They're, they're, they're just this uh, shocking testament to the fact that these people lived here, were taken from there and murdered. Well, you would have seen them too, I guess. Mm. Yep. And um, it just brings you up short. These engraved metal squares. It feels like it can happen so easy when, easily when you think of what's gone on in politics recently um, and is still happening in some countries. It's just um, life can just, the balance can just tip from mm. ordinary every day to you get in that queue over there. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I'm actually reading um, We Are Wolves with my kids at the moment by Katrina Nanestad and it's um, set in East Prussia before the, um, the, the Russians came in and I was talking to my kids today because um, I, I can't remember what part we were reading but it was sort of, you know, oh, they had, they had a picture of Hitler on the wall. They had to have a picture of Hitler on the wall and um, the grandfather had turned it round and the children didn't understand why and we were just talking about how easily you know, how, how much time sort of had passed for him to get to that point, but how it sort of, he was allowed to get there. And, yes, you know, yeah, and, and there was, there probably would have been many times that people could have said, okay, this is, this has to stop, let's do something about it, but nothing, mm. you know, effective was done. So, um, mm. and just in relation to that, um, one of the things that you address in the book is, is this sort of, this, in Holland, this, um, almost national shame that they have of um, not doing enough for the, the Dutch Jews and turning people turning a blind eye and, and some of them turning in Jews. Yeah. Um, did you talk to people about this or was this something that you got out of books? Or um, I did talk to people. I talked to neighbours, our daughter's neighbours. Um, and... Uh, oh. After a while, if, while I was talking to them, attitudes would start to come out. Mm. Um, and, the, and I also did a lot of reading, and I did a lot of reading of also the French resistance, about the French resistance as well, yeah. just in terms of the mindset and how people kind of lose their humanity. Mm. Um, and the Dutch, well, they thought things were going to go pretty well with the Germans. Yeah. And the Germans thought they were just going to become part of the, of the Reich. Um, they thought they saw the Dutch as just like them. Yeah. But um, it didn't go that way, fortunately. And the, the number of Jews from Amsterdam who survived was pitifully small. And when they came back, when they straggled home after the war, the Dutch were already... They they were having a hard time dealing with all their hardships, but they had no idea what the, the, the Jews had been through. No, no. 
they weren't they weren't sympathetic and and yes that there's a lot of um, feeling of shame about what should and could have been done. Yeah, uh, they were told that the that the Jews were being taken away to working camps. They weren't told. Yes, what the truth yeah. was, and oh, they didn't gosh, have yes. any way. Yeah, yeah, and there's the will to believe all the time. People think, oh well, you know, they said that. That's that'll be all right. It's okay. Yeah. People be want than... to believe things. Yeah, they well, they want to believe that it'll be okay. Yeah, and to imagine worse would have just been, you know, horrific. Yeah. And um, I, I think I guess that they got into that situation because they had been neutral in World War One, and then hadn't they hadn't built up an army. They didn't have, you know, any sort of real defence when no. the Germans did march in. So, no. <laughs> if you can imagine them, they had bikes. Mm. Um, they were sorely outnumbered, and they had very little in the way of fighting machines. They, they, Rotterdam, Rotterdam was bombed to smithereens and then I think it was three days later, very, very soon after the Dutch um, capitulated and they were occupied yeah. and they were fiercely occupied. Yeah. Um, so uh, it was a really tough time, especially for anybody who had a conscience. And what's interesting is that where there was a, a strong church going community with a strong leader a strong minister or pastor often they were very um active and they would work together um, so in in the story um a couple of times although he's the um willa's parents no moda's parents weren't um weren't actually churchgoers they believed they saw that the church was a something of a haven and they were good people. Mm. Yeah. Um, and in the book, um, you have a page that you call the funnel. The yeah. Funnel of, of um, you know, the, the oppression against the Jews and, and sort of how they were more and more restricted bit by bit. Is that something that you came up with or did you find that somewhere? No, I did that. Um, I just started recording all the laws that were passed, um, all the forbidden, all the things that, that you weren't allowed to, to do. Mm -hmm. You couldn't hire Jews. And it just, I just started getting this incredibly long, long, long list. Mm -hmm. Forbidden to use a telephone, forbidden to have a bike, forbidden to grow vegetables, forbidden blah, blah, blah. It just went on and on and on. So it was really was the funnel, just funneling them down and, um, or tightening the screw, really. And then finally, there are just those who were hidden away. So it seemed like a natural shape for that piece of writing to take. Yeah, that's brilliant. And and Henny, let's go let's go back to Henny for a minute because you know we've got this um, this girl who's dropped into this city. She's on the other side of the world from her family. She doesn't have anyone with her that she's you know that's direct family, and she is finding out all of these things throughout the book. And, you know, obviously this book is, is for um, older kids and, and teens. How mm. did you balance that darkness with this character of Henny? Well, Henny has a great joie de vivre. She really enjoys things. Um, so she's pretty resilient. She, but she's really up against it right from the get-go. Um, 
And <laughs> I thought the more, the harder I made it for Henny, the stronger the book would be. Mm. Um, and she has, she virtually has no alternative but to do what she's done. I wonder whether when she got home, um, <laughs> whether she had some sort of a breakdown or got counseling, counseling or something. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think her sense of humour gets her through. Yeah. And also her love of Willa and, and the knowledge that Stella Street will, will be there for her. Stella Street is, is very real for her, even though she can't talk to it. She has, she has terrible trouble with her phone. That was one of the problems for me. What about yeah. how, what about the technology? That's right. Yeah. Um, and, but then it's relatively easy when you're traveling to kind of do the wrong thing and get the wrong card or get muddled up somehow or other in the technology. And she was staying with old people and they didn't know a thing about it. So, <laughs> so I, I sort of was able to isolate her more yeah. by making her phone play up. And this, this is something I've actually talked about with other authors is how do you get around the, the convenience of having a phone all the time? Yeah, because it's hard to write a good mystery or, or, you know, get the characters in trouble if they can always just call them. <laughs> exactly. So why didn't they, why didn't they ring home? Yeah. Why didn't they call mum? So um, what do you hope your readers will take from this book the most? Oh, well, I hope it's a good plot. I hope they feel that it's an exciting story that carries them through to the end. I hope they sort of understand a little bit more about what it was like to be a kid during the Second World War and to be in an occupied country and to be hungry. Mm. Um, we are so lucky here. We're so fortunate. Yeah. Uh, I hope it will make them want to go to Amsterdam and experience life. It's very hard now because you can't travel anywhere. Well, you can go in Australia, but um, that they will get out and go and see other places and learn what it's like to live in different societies and find out how they live, get some understanding, broaden their horizons, give themselves all sorts of new experiences, which a is sense some, of adventure. Yeah, which is something that, you know, during World War II was, was a problem, right? You couldn't, not only could you not do that, but you couldn't, you didn't know what was going on in the rest of the world to... Um, no. Yeah. They had no idea. That's why the underground presses were so um, important and why everybody, so many people risked their lives and risked all sorts of things to, to pump out some news because everyone was desperate for news. What's happening? What mm. have you heard? Yeah. And why um, Radio Orange was so important and the broadcasts from London from Queen Wilhelmina. Yeah. Yes, it's because she was over there. They could glean a little of what was happening yeah. Well, I can tell you, um, my 10-year-old, who I nicknamed Manga Boy, he was born in Amsterdam <laughs> and um, he would love to go and because we moved back here when he was two, so he can't remember it. And he absolutely is dying to go back over there and see where he was born and, you know, all the different places we went to. Um, and I think after he's read this book, <laughs> um, yeah, he's going to want to even more. And it's definitely something I think he's, he's going to enjoy. Um, yeah, once once he gets into it, right for sure. And uh, so you know, this is a, this was a long time coming. This follow up. Do you think there'll be more? 
Well, as I, I, I imagine they could be a boy, they could be a book between to the boy in Berlin mm. and from Stella Street to Amsterdam. So okay. not a one after it, but a one underneath it, right. which sounds peculiar. But it's called Wallaby Island and we've done the plotting. Uh, it just has to be written. Great. So we'll uh, we'll see that in a few months then, hey? <laughs> <laughs> and I might do a picture book or two before then. <laughs> okay. Wow. I look forward to it. Um, so From Stella Street to Amsterdam and Everything That Happened is available in all good bookstores. Where can our listeners find you if they want to find out more? Ah, uh, well, I've been putting quite a lot about the book on Instagram before it came out last year. Elizabeth Honey Books. And uh, there's my website, which needs updating, and it hasn't got this book on it yet. But um, I suggest they go to Elizabeth Honey Books on Instagram. Okay, great. And, and I've website... been making little little clips. Yeah, I noticed them, and your website is actually very good. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes. It's way behind the eight ball. Needs a lot of updating, but mm. I'll get around to that. It is lovely. I'm, I'm going. Thank to you. Well, it was great fun. I. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed making those little 60-second films, videos, and I've got um, some more too. I want to explain how I come up with my characters. I always start with photograph. Um, I find I go to op shops or where a Kringloop Winkle and um, get, get um, some old magazines and I find my people in these magazines and then I cut them out and then I look at them and it's kind of like casting and I build my relationships and build the families and put them together that way it's very visual very visual yeah well thank you so much for joining me today elizabeth it's been fascinating oh my pleasure delight to talk to you pamela you too Thanks for stopping by Middle Grade Mavens. If you'd like to know more about the Mavens, log on to middlegradepodcast.com or to find Julie online, stop by julieandgrassobooks.com and to find Pamela, stop by www.ueckerman.net.